Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in New York, with the first family of the NBA, the Currys, Dell and Sonia, who are now not only the parents of NBA star Steph Curry and Dallas Mavericks guard Seth Curry, but also the host of a new podcast on Cadence called Raising Fame Sports Edition. We'll talk about their new pod. We talk about Steph, Seth, their daughter Seidel, and a lot more. And speaking of podcasts, make sure you're also listening to The Low Post with Zach Lowe, Brian Windhurst, and The Hoop Collective, and the SVP pod with Scott Van Pelt. And now, Dell and Sonia Curry. Welcome into our Manhattan studios. This is one I've really been looking forward to. Dell and Sonia Curry, who many of you know as merely the first parents of the NBA, father and mother to Steph and Seth and, and their daughter, Seidel, but also the new hosts of a podcast, Raising Fame Sports Edition on Cadence, which is a great podcast company, used to host the Woj Pod. And you can go back. You, there's already a sh- small archive you guys started last month of conversations with Dell and Sonia. Uh, first, about how they raised their children as parents around sports, but then how a lot of other parents did. Everyone from Patrick Mahomes, Shaquille O'Neal, Dwayne Wade, Damian Lillard. Uh, there's a March Madness edition coming. Cassius Winston and Anthony Edwards coming up mm-hmm. in March. Uh, first, welcome in, guys. Thanks for literally getting off the plane from Charlotte and, and coming right in here. Thanks. Yeah, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we're looking forward to this. Uh, early flight up, got off the plane, came right here, so we're looking forward to it. This is, for me now, this is, I, I know this is a Woj Pod record. I've had Steph on the pod. I've had Seth <laughs> on the podcast, and now... Now we've got four Currys who've joined in. So let's start here, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. The timings, we didn't time it this way, but but Steph's return is is imminent in Golden State. Yes. How, how much – it's funny, early in Steph's career, and it was a very different kind of injury that there were a lot of – there's always a lot of doubt about those lower leg injuries, the foot ankle injuries he had, you know, that really – I think there was a time his career was – he thought might be in some peril – Broken hand is, it's not, it certainly wasn't career threatening. He knew he'd come back this year, but, but his parents, a little different feeling around this injury now and where Steph is in his career versus, you know, the uncertainty early on when he was fighting through those first few years in the league. Yeah. One, he's a little more secure now, (laughs) financially secure than he was when, uh, early in his career when he, when he went through the ankle injuries and you talked about as the NBA player, Pretty much any professional um, player, you've got to have the the legs and the ankles, the knees. You, you got to have those things working. Um, so this one, a little different in the hand. It was it was a severe injury. Um, don't get me wrong, but you knew it would recover. The bones would heal. Uh, it's just a matter of him, you know, staying patient with it. It's a little frustrating that it happened so early in the year. Um, but I know he's excited to get back. It's been a long process, and they've, they've taken their time, obviously making sure that their main guy's healed up. But uh, he's anxious to get back on the floor and, and get the body moving again. 
And I kind of have a little slight <laughs> um, different perspective on that. I mean, you never want to see your child hurt, and we're a very competitive family, and we know that that passion is just in him to be on the court. He's just always been like that. He's never looked for a reason not to play. But I guess on, on my end, I was kind of, you know, we believe God, all things happen for a reason. And, you know, he got an opportunity to kind of rest mentally, physically, uh, with the makeup of the team this year coming in. You know, all the focus was going to be on him. And from a mom's perspective and an ex-NBA player's wife's perspective, it was good to kind of see him resting and see him home, having more time with his family, um, but, but also watching him, you know, mentally recoup some and regroup and um, rehabilitate not only physically, but also mentally during this time. So, it, so that, that's an interesting point, too. And I think people, Steph may not show it the way other people do or other players. He's, you know, I think from the outside and even being around him, he's kind of the same guy every day and he he's not high he's not low he's stays in that place where it's uh, i think a lot easier for him and for people to function but you talk about five straight years of deep playoff runs playing to the end of june mm-hmm. lots of games you know he's played some i'm trying to think of the last time he played international basketball but i know he had hoped to play that was on the horizon trying to play mm-hmm. playing on the olympic team do you sense that it had taken maybe more of a toll on him than he might let on to people. Oh, absolutely. Because even during those runs, he was playing with injuries. And so, you know, now getting, you know, a little bit further into his career, it's hard to to stay game ready mentally and physically all the time. And I think, you know, having some conversations with him um, recently about returning or not returning for the the rest of the year that definitely was playing into his psychic about what decision to actually make you know if he doesn't play you know the cons are if he doesn't play then getting his body back into real game uh shape and you know they want to start off this season on a serious run for another championship so you won't have much time to get into game shape if you don't get on the court and and start playing uh sooner than later so absolutely absolutely you know we were talking a little bit earlier about Steph and, and Seth, and, and now both of them very secure in the NBA. Seth signed, you know, his first big contract in the league. It was four years, thirty-two million with Dallas, coming off a, a really good season in Portland. And I wonder, as like parents, it's funny when you have kids and you watch. To me, one of the interesting things as a parent is you watch, especially when they're young, they fight and they go at it, and then you sort of see, like, you kind of know that you've got. That they've got someone in the world, maybe even when you're gone, that's like they've got each other's backs mm-hmm. and, and they're there for each other. And that's what I guess you, you probably hope for, that, that your kids have that. And I talked to Bob Myers about this in the past and, and, and GM and Golden State. And, you know, he, at a time when Seth and he played with the G League team in Santa Cruz, he played with the Warriors G League team. He was in and out of the G League. He was in the NBA on 10-day contracts. Uh, he had gone undrafted out of Duke because he had played injured, essentially, his senior year. He had that mm-hmm. foot injury that really limited him. And it took him longer to – and never once did Steph go to Golden State and say, you know what, um, put, put, come on, like put Seth on the team. Come on, give him a roster spot. Because that's happened through the years. There's plenty of stars who have, whether it's family or not family, who have – 
you know, you know who the players are in the league who have the power to add a player or two or even three mm-hmm. on a roster. Do you ever even remember that idea even coming up? No, that was never never mentioned. Um, and that's something that we just try to instill in all of our children growing up. That you know, you earn everything. Nothing's given to you. Um, you know, even while I was in the NBA. Uh, we could have given them everything and, and made life real easy for them, but uh, no, we, we, I mean, they had chores around the house, they had things they had to do. Um, and, you know, if Steph had done that, uh, it's still no, no secure thing that, that Seth would have played well and, and been able to, you know, stick in the NBA. And, um, so no, that was never, never mentioned, never thought of. Um, and Seth wouldn't have had. He wouldn't have. Yeah. He wouldn't have liked that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, because we, you know, even talked about, you know, when it's time for after finishing his second G League um, season and last, thank God, he, you know, talked to him about playing for the Warriors, and of course, you wouldn't turn down being put on their roster or signed by them. But he was just like, no, he he's always wanted to do his own thing. You said in, in the podcast is Raising Fame Sports Edition with Dell and Sonia Curry. You said in one of the pods um, where you talked about your own journey with your children and raising your family, Dell, that, that you wanted to keep it normal through your kid's childhood. They were growing up around the NBA. I wonder, like, when you look back now, was it easier to keep life normal for your kids at the time you played in the NBA versus parenting, the way the league has grown and the attention and everything that goes with it, how well-known the players are now, even role players who are really well-known. Do you think it might have been less of a challenge when you were raising your kids than it might be now for for Steph and and for Seth as he grows a family? No question, it was easier um, with with social media. There was no cell phones back then. There was no um, league pass. You can go on and on. The the, the NBA has grown so big, uh, so much since uh, the days that I was in. It was, I mean, it was it was it was not easy uh, keeping it normal because the, the kids knew that they dad's in the NBA and he was making some money. Uh, he's traveling around. We can do pretty much uh, whatever we want. Um, he could afford to get anything that we wanted, uh, but my wife did a great job of, of making sure that those that our kids stayed as normal as possible. That they 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 earned the right to go to the game, to go to my practices, uh, to do the things that uh, you know normal kids would do. Nothing again. It goes back to the fact that nothing was handed to them. We we gave them the resources that we could, but we made sure they stayed hungry. Um, but I can't imagine trying to keep things normal in today's NBA. Mm-hmm. So hard. And one of the things that I've learned, I've loved about this experience with the podcast is when you're interviewing these other top athletes, very accomplished athletes, that that was a common thread mm-hmm. that I was surprised to hear about that I felt like it was more of just our personal uh, beliefs and how we were raising our, our kids. But it was a common thread with every parent we've interviewed so far uh, or guardian of these professional athletes that said when they came home, they wanted to make their kids' life normal. And um, so it's it's really important. Um, it's been interesting seeing how they've kept it normal for their uh, kids in the different sports because they look different. So, yeah, I, 
running my school for 27 years, it's hard on parents nowadays. It's a lot of pressure to follow the crowd. Um, and so it takes a lot of courage not to and to not feed into the fear of you're going to mess your child up. Just parent them, love them, and let home be home. So, Yeah, what's interesting, too, about even so far the interviews you've done and the families that you've uh, – players and, and, and the families that you've talked to – a lot of different kind of family structures. Yes. Um, a lot of different paths. Listen, whether it's a mom, whether it's two parents, whether it's a mom, whether it's Dwayne Wade, two parents separately. We've had siblings raising. S- siblings. A younger sibling. <laughs> is, is that part of like the real – obviously, you you both had a curiosity about how others did it. You knew what, mm-hmm. you knew what your story was, but there's lots of them, and you're out searching them down, but, but – how interesting of a part of it has that been about, because not every kid's is fortunate to have grown up in the Curry household. I think twofold for me, and then Del, give your perspective on this, was to really create an environment for parents. Um, because there's so many people outside of the arena or within the arena of athletics and sport that's really focused on the business aspect of it. They want our our kids as athletes to just for money, for claim, for prestige, for and like AAUs and all these kinds of things. It's about the the dollar now. So it's for me it's producing a community where any parent, whether they're at home right now and their child's one or their child's twelve and they're going through this whole plight of just trying to support them with their athletic uh, experiences that they can find somebody that we've interviewed that looks like them so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, they can find some courage and hope that, hey, they made this mistake. I don't, you know, I don't want to make it or or I can avoid making it or if I did, it's going to be all right, you know, because there's no formula in raising fame. Just dare to parent your child. So that was our purpose and passion for actually doing this and providing uh, different types of guardianship so that somebody could see themselves. The common thread that, that I've seen is that um, all parents, guardians did not raise uh, that child to be a, a professional athlete. They yes. were raising it, raising that child to be a productive citizen uh, in their community uh, to go in and have a, a, a successful life at whatever they uh, chose to do. Obviously, at some point, they realized they were gifted in that particular sport, and then you know things escalated. They put forth resources. They got more uh, involved and dedicated themselves to that sport. But early on, it was just, hey, I want to raise my child to be a successful, prosperous individual in a community um, who would have a you know a successful life and, and do good in whatever they decided. So, mm-hmm. no one knew, hey. Uh, I've got this son or daughter. I'm going to raise them to be a professional athlete. Mm-mm. What were the things as parents when you'd go to games, whether daughter's volleyball game, boys' basketball games, trap, whatever it was, what were the things that as parents made you cringe when you were around that, maybe that youth sports environment? I probably had some people looking at me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take up knitting when the boys were in in high school and then kept score so that I could be forced to not yell and be that coach from the stand. So I'm that parent that signed the waiver at the beginning of every season that I would not coach from the stand. And I would 
uh, get in trouble all the time. But that's one of the things is just, you know, over coaching your children within their sport. Um, Del, can you think? Yeah, of I, I think I the, the big thing is that once your child decides they want to play this individual sport, and then we had a, a, a couple just say this um, recently in the podcast. Okay, I want to play basketball, baseball, swim, whatever. Okay, how do you want to play it as just a hobby, or do you want to be yeah. serious mm-hmm. and try to be your best uh, moving forward? And then, as a parent, I can make a decision of how I'm going to react uh, when you play. Am I just going to say I was, they're just doing this for exercise, for a hobby, or are they really trying mm-hmm. to be their best at it? And our kids made that decision early that they wanted to be dedicated and be the best and really be locked in on what sport they were playing. And I think that's why my wife was so, is so emotional <laughs> because, hey, we're not in this just to have – it's fun, obviously, but we want you to play well, do your best, because uh, your teammates are relying on you to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a big thing. Once the, the parent realized that the kid was locked in, dedicated, wanted to be their best, then things changed and got a little more serious. And not living through them. Mm-hmm. Correct. And to accomplish things they didn't accomplish, too. We did see a lot of that. The, the thing that was so amazing about the recruitment of Steph and Seth, okay, people miss on players. They miss on – they underestimate whether it's based on size or whatever it is that he's not a high major player. He's this. Like the NBA is – I had John Morant yesterday on the podcast. Everybody missed on him. He goes to Murray State. and mm-hmm. But, okay, they missed on Steph. They missed on Steph – at the highest level, and listen for him. You know, I would say Davidson, Bob McKillop is a Hall. of He should be a Hall of Fame. Yes, no he he's one of the Absolutely. great. You know, it's so funny. College basketball. This is a tangent, I guess. <laughs> but college basketball, the Hall of Fame to me is so. It's built around if you had a job at one of the really big programs, they're just built to win. And I'm not set, taking away from those guys, but like, I'd like to see some of those guys go do it at Davidson for Jeez, 30 years exactly. and, and sustain. Anyway, that's another. Yeah. Anyway, Bob McKellop's a Hall of Famer. That's my <laughs> point. But, we agree. Right? Um, okay, they missed on Steph, but how did they miss on Seth? That's the thing that, like, that someone would just say the bloodlines. We're not going to make the same mistake that we made. Like, we've got 15 scholarships, and he started it. You know, he went to Liberty out of the gate before he transferred to Duke. Did it surprise you guys as much, especially in retrospect, that, okay, you missed on Steph, but, like, can't somebody figure out that it's the same, there's a little bit the same pattern here, and somebody big is going to offer him a scholarship? It didn't surprise me. It pissed me off, but it didn't (laughs) surprise me. Um, Because the same schools that recruited Stephen saw Seth, and we won't won't dig in the past, but... um, (laughs) Seth, a funny little side story. Seth blames it on me because there was a big tournament that all the coaches were coming and, and his name was being thrown out there, who to watch that weekend. And he decided he wasn't going to come in for curfew from uh, prom or homecoming. And I told him, you're not going to the tournament. And so he blames that he didn't get highly recruited mm-hmm. because of me. <laughs> they're the parent, right? Yes. Um, but it didn't, you know, back to your original question, it didn't really surprise me at all i think he was he was faced with the same challenges that stefan was and he didn't fit the the bill physically again and um as i learned more about you know high division one teams you know 
It isn't much about investing in it. You got to come with most of the package. Right. Um, and so it didn't surprise me, but uh, it, it surprised me a little bit. Um, because a lot of, I, I know a lot of coaches and they would, you know, talk to me about the kid. And I'm like, Hey, he's a late bloomer as well. Um, he's driven. He had a little better body in coming out of high school than Stefan. Stefan yeah, was six foot one forty five. Seth was was built a little mm-hmm. uh, a little better, but I think he went to a um, an AU tournament uh, in Orlando and he had a slight hamstring pull and he tried to play through it. And I had a coach call me said, "Hey, Seth, his hamstring is. You can tell he's not a hundred percent. I think he needs to sit down and not play." I'm thinking, "Wow, well, I've already told most of the coaches he's a late bloomer. Now they they they, they see him." Trying to play through a, an injury where he shouldn't be—that's that says something to me as a coach. So yeah, it, it really surprised me. Um, but when he decided to transfer from Liberty after leading the uh, all freshman in scoring, oh, he was the big man on campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so everybody tried to rectify their mistake. Yeah, it's really amazing, and, and the NBA is full of like, and you can see the guys who weren't the prodigies at. Like, I admire what LeBron has done, what Kobe maintained, because it's also really hard to be the can't-miss guy at 15, 16, because that's a lot to handle at that age. And we've seen plenty of guys just fall off because they don't – it's just – it's too much – it's a lot to absorb at that age, right? And so I admire – Listen, anybody who plays in the NBA, like, you're not, you don't get there by accident. You mm. just don't. I mean, you've, but you do see, though, there's a, of the guys who kind of keep that chip on their shoulder. And I think Steph, mm-hmm. Seth, like they, you know, Steph's been multi-time MVP and multi-time champion. And I still think in his mind, when he gets up in the morning and goes to the gym, he still thinks of himself, you know, the guy at Davidson mm-hmm. that nobody was quite sure was good enough, right? That's Absolutely. why I think he still sees Absolutely. himself. He still looks back at that scouting report, you know, <laughs> when he was getting drafted too slow, can't jump, not athletic, just a shooter, not a point guard. All that is still in the back of his mind. I think Seth, I tell people all the time, Steph, a number seven pick, a lottery pick, all those things that he couldn't do. Proved everyone wrong, but Seth has even a better story. Mm-hmm. You said it injured uh, his senior year in college, had surgery right after college. His, his college season was done, didn't get drafted, went through the G League, couple of 10 days, didn't get a chance to play, but continued to work. And uh, he played in Erie for the Erie Bayhawks. And <laughs> we went to a couple of games in Erie. I'm like, Seth, if you can stay dedicated and play you, the way you are here in Erie, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. Sorry, <laughs> and uh, use that as motivation to get Absolutely. out and get Absolutely. into yeah. um, But Seth never lost focus, never looked at his brother and said, hey, why can't I do that? What, what's wrong with me? He stayed focused on his path. And, you know, now you're seeing the fruits of his labor playing really good basketball in his second stint with Dallas. So that story is even more impressive than a lot of kids. And you're right. The kids that, that are young, 15, 16, have that star on their back. It's a lot of pressure to live up to. So you have two different extremes. Those kids, the LeBron, the Kobe's, and then you have the Seth Curry's where they see his brother uh, reach levels. And they go, hey, what's, what's wrong with him? But he continues to grind it out, mm-hmm. and, and he's ready for his opportunity. Mm-hmm. Sonia, there's a really uh, – Mark Spears um, with the undefeated. I've worked with Mark for years at Yahoo and now at ESPN, and he, he wrote a really – a terrific piece on you. I guess it was last year. And talking about, you know, you grew up in Radford, Virginia. Mm-hmm. 
at a time where it was not easy for a young African-American girl to grow up in Radford, Virginia. You, you dealt with a lot. You saw a lot. And it's funny, when you think of, we're talking about youth sports, your experiences with youth sports as a parent, and think back to when you were 11 years old, and you can set the scene here. You're 11 years old. You're a scorekeeper at a softball game that your mom was playing in, and I think some of maybe some more extended family. Our softball team was a family and friend softball team, and it was an all-African-American team. And what happened that day? Well, what happened was it was like the city championship, and so I come from just a lineage of athletes and because that's really what we had there and we'd love to compete. And so we're at the um, city championship against an all um, white team and the game hasn't even started, but I guess in a, in a attempt just to intimidate, we look out in the field and there's this hill and come a white horse comes across with, a man dressed in Ku Klux Klan garb um, with a fire and a cross. The cross was already there, and he goes by and he lights the cross and then he rides, rides off. Well, needless to say, it didn't spark fear. It actually just sparked more anger. And so a, a full-fledged brawl just broke out for a few minutes, and then the ladies gathered. And it's all females, too. So the ladies gathered themselves and then, you know, finished the game um, and – we won, but those are things that, you know, I don't, especially in the climate that we're in now, I don't like to harp on it a lot because it's real negative. But if there were, those were things that, you know, I've shared with my children in trying to get them to not take anything for granted that, you know, we've come a long way, but it was what i was 11 so now i'm 53 so you know 40 years mm-hmm. ago that's mm-hmm. not a long time nope. for those kinds of things to happen and although they may not be happening on a white horse ride the mentality is still out there so when you get an opportunity the, the underlying message has always been when you get the opportunity don't take it for granted you get in there and you just give it all that you got because god's opening that door for you and don't squander it so Again, the reason for telling those stories for me is just to remind, was to remind our kids that, you know what? You gotta keep working hard. You gotta keep doing it because if you don't, you're giving it, you're just giving it away. So it's a different form of intimidation. <laughs> um, yeah. Well. And you went on, you were, uh, a three sports star in high school and you, you I think you had said that, that you had to be the best to force them to play absolutely with me absolutely what did you how so well being the only african-american um player on the team um and again i had a great childhood um i played hard we tell our kids all the time make them play you because even now in the nba and all the you know there's there's so much political stuff going on and, and make them regret not playing you don't just take for granted you're good you got to start in position and you're going to have it all the time no because there's somebody else behind you just as hungry and wanting your position and especially on the nba level because everybody's getting paid so that was it i just went every day and a little bit is the, the competition it's just ingrained in us to fight but i did i had to stay on the court i had to fight for my minutes 
I was a little greedy. I could play all but two minutes of the game and never understood why I got taken out. So, uh, you know, with that, again, you got to grind. You got to grind it out because somebody else will do it for you if you don't. You know, it's. I'm curious if Dell knows who this. I'm not going to say the players. I'm not going to say the player's name. But I was told a story once it was a few years ago. You were with Steph uh, somewhere. I think it was in might have been during the off season, and maybe at a restaurant somewhere. And there was another player who had not grown up with his dad, and who was there and observing you and Steph that evening. And when you, when you two got up to leave together said to some people around him, I wish I had that. I wish I had that in my life. And I wonder for you, like, the relationship you've been able to keep with your kids and and to have like a childhood relationship as the dad and then a relationship now as a grandparent with your sons is now watching him raise his own family like, what does it mean to have, like, to, just for someone to observe you guys and think that, not, not so much the regret someone else has, but, but, but just what they see when you're with your kids? Um, I, I try to just be as involved in, in my kids' lives as my dad was in mine. And it's, that's, I mean, it, it seemed real easy for me. My, my dad was my baseball coach. Um, he helped with the basketball team. We did everything. I'm from a small, community anytime i did when he came home from work i was by his side 24 7 so i tried to just emulate that in in raising my kids and it was natural from the time they were little they liked to do the same things i did hunt fish golf basketball any and so it was it was real easy uh we have a great relationship Uh, um it's just natural so we we don't go out of our way trying to say oh trying to prove the relationship we have, it, it's natural. And once they became men and, and, you know, in the NBA, I was still a big part, but I didn't want to hover. They have to live their own lives. It started really when they chose their what college they were going to go to. It was, it was their decision. We gave them advice. Uh, we could still give them the advice, but you know, they're grown men. They have to make their own decisions. So we, we try to, you know, be involved, but be at a distance and not hover and, and let them live their lives and, and grow their family so – um, it was just something that came natural for me. I, I don't know when that was or who the player was because we, <laughs> those things happen all the time. Right, We're, right. especially in the summertime, I, I try to spend as much time as I can with, uh, both my boys. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just fortunate to have two guys that like to hang out with their father. The podcast is Raising Fame Sports Edition with Dell and Sonia Curry. It is produced by Cadence. You can find it anywhere you listen. To your podcast, you got a March Madness edition coming, as we talked about, from Cassius Winston, Michigan State, uh, Anthony Edwards at Georgia. Who else am I missing? Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin from Dayton. 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 We've got um, Bernie Carey Jr. Don't forget Bernie. the lady, Sabrina. Sabrina Yoneski. Yoneski. Her dad. You have her, you have her yes, dad on yes. on the pod, so yes. you can catch catch that anywhere. Del Sonia, thank you for coming in. Thanks for jumping on the podcast. Really, really enjoyed this one. Well, thank you for having us, and happy birthday. Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy your work. Watch you all the time, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guests today in studio, Del and Sonia Curry. 
the hosts of Raising Fame Sports Edition on Cadence. You can download and subscribe to their podcast wherever you get your pods. And of course, be sure to also subscribe and rate, download the Woj Pod, as well as, of course, the Low Post with Zach Lowe, the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhurst, and the SVP Pod with Scott Van Pelt. We'll catch you again soon.